I'm Margaret. And I'm Mariah. And welcome to Men, Murder, and Muffins. Hi, how are you? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm really tipsy. <laughs> well, then this should be a good podcast. It'll be a great time. This is What you drinking? Oh, okay. So, uh, you know how we've been, like, looking for that sweet Riesling that your boyfriend's sister suggested we try? Yes. I have looked in four different stores, could not find it, but I found a sweet Riesling by Barefoot, and, oh, it's pretty good. And it's, really? like, dollars. How much I- is it? Eight? Five. Five? Oh, my God, that's so Five. much better. The... Pacific Rim one is like 16 at high V. Here's the thing. The Pacific Rim one, I, I think, tastes better, but I haven't had it in a while. But, you know, yeah. that $5 for that barefoot that is actually really good is quite a steal. That is. But, yeah. Man, I may have to try that, too, so I can save $10. See, I could buy three of those, and it'd be the equivalent of just the one Pacific Rim one. For sure. And here's the thing, too. It's like, yeah, so I don't, I don't know. It's really good. I'm just eating some bread right now, trying to, like, soak up that alcohol and drink some water. But we're both 21, so it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> but no. So, uh, you know, last week on the podcast, I talked about some pretty depressing stuff. Um, I just wanted to give everyone an update. So my uncle's funeral was this past week, and it was actually a really beautiful ceremony. And... Um, you know, I've been going through all of that, but I wanted to read a poem, if that's okay. Is that okay with you? Oh, go for it. I'm excited. So I love poetry, and there's this artist named Ruby Carr that I love. Um, she wrote the book The Sun and Her Flowers, and then if you've heard of the book Milk and Honey, she wrote that. So this is the poem. It has been one of the greatest and most difficult years of my life. I learned everything is temporary. Moments, feelings, people, flowers. I learned love is about giving everything and letting it hurt. I learned vulnerability is always the right choice because it is easy to be cold in a world that makes it so very difficult to remain soft. I learned all things come in twos, life and death, pain and joy, salt and sugar, me and you. It is the balance of the universe. It has been the year of our hurting so bad, but living so good. Making friends out of strangers, making strangers out of friends, learning mint chocolate chip ice cream will fix just about everything. And for the pains that can't, there will always be my mother's arms. We must learn to focus on warm energy, always. Soak our limbs in it and become better lovers to the world. For if we can't learn to be kind to each other, how will we ever learn to be kind to the most desperate parts of ourselves? And, you know, I'm not really always very good with words, but that poem, I feel like, really sums up my past year. Because, like, don't listen to the last podcast. That one was kind of, like, (laughs) but... I lost my uncle. I lost a friend. I changed schools in the past year. I've just been going through a lot and just trying to find myself, especially in this past month. I feel Mm -hmm. like has been a lot of self-discovery and just me being myself and trying to figure out what I want. And, you know, I even though you like I complain to you all the time because you're my best friend and you've heard everything I'm going through. Yeah. In like a really better mindset because, you know, I've been working out a lot. Mm -hmm. I've been working out like every day. Like, before this podcast, I just got done with the gym, and I burned off enough calories just so I could drink, like, a whole bottle of wine. <laughs> Not care. And then, um, I've been, I, I, ooh, I failed the test today. Like, I actually failed the test. But. It's okay. It's just a test. The first test, I'm too worried about it. Everything will be okay. 
I'm not trying to stress about it too much now because you know I have this philosophy and it's like what's hap- what's in the past you can't change so it's like mm-hmm. why worry about the past you can only worry about the future yeah so now that I've seen the format of the test now that mm-hmm. I know how they're gonna be I'm gonna stress less about it so now yeah. and it's like I'm gonna know how to study for it exactly so, you know like you said it's in the past yeah you can't do anything about the past so what you gotta do is just keep on trucking to the future yep but yeah so this is our third podcast welcome um this is actually the podcast that i'll probably share with people and try to get on itunes so hopefully we do okay hopefully we do well yeah so uh, the murders did you want to say yeah i'll go ahead and start off when i first read this one i thought it was gonna be more interesting than it is it's not really that spooky but because i want to do a spooky one this week but i'll just get into it so this is the murder of zona Heaster Shoe, aka the Greenbrier Ghost. I'm already shook. Yeah, I know. It's its place in the 1800s. Well, end of the 1800s. Um, yeah. So this 23 year old girl, Zona, uh, she fell in love with this like old guy. He was like the Newtown blacksmith, and um, lots of people have like warned him about it, and he had had lots of not lots. He had had two wives before this and one of them had like mysteriously died um yeah they don't know how assumed it was murder and then so anyways everyone was warning her like oh don't fall for this guy he's like wait she's only 23 at the time so like she's he's really old he's kind of sketch um but anyways um she went ahead and married him and three months after she married him, uh, she was found dead. Oh, lovely. Oh, because yeah. the last one was mysterious. So this one, you know. It's yeah. Not- and this one was also a little mysterious. Uh, okay. Um, so she was found at the bottom of her house, of her home staircase. Um, and one of her, like, neighbors found her. And he said when he found her, she was, like, laid in an odd position. She was all stretched out and her feet were together. And she had one hand on her abdomen and the other lying next to her. So, like, if she'd fallen down the stairs, chance of, chances are she wouldn't have landed like that. All like that. You don't fall, like, I guess, with your feet closed and your hand over your abdomen. The odds of that are, like, zero to none. So, what that tells me is he had to place the body like that. There's no Yeah. Way. Yeah. So then, um, yeah, a neighbor found her and also, like, her eyes were wide open and, like, I don't know if that if that's important at all, but eyes were wide open. So, anyways, yeah, the person, her neighbor, found her, and um, one told the mom, her mom, and the coroner, and whatever she was pronounced dead. Um, but so the coroner and the doctor didn't show up till an hour later, and during that time, um, Zona's husband had carried her body upstairs and laid her out on a bed. Um, and usually, like, I guess back in this time, it was, like, customary for, like, the women of the town and the female family members to, like, wash and dress the body for burial. Um, but the creepy husband went ahead and did all that within this hour span, uh, before the doctor in the corner got there. So he took her upstairs, washed her, dressed her, and he put her in this, like, I don't know, maybe this is appropriate apparel for the time, but it was, like, a high neck, stiff collared dress, this article says. 
and it went like all the way up to her neck and he had placed a veil over her face um that just yeah. that just literally that makes me think as you know when people break from customs you know sometimes they have a reason but this just sounds like he was trying to cover up the fact that he pushed his wife down the stairs and maybe choked her if he's she's wearing a high collar yeah, and then, so then when the doctor and coroner finally got there, they were, like, trying to examine her to figure out the cause of death, but the husband, like, stayed by his wife's side all the time and was, like, bawling and sobbing, um, so the coroner never got, did, like, a full exam, um, because he, the husband was right there, and he was like, oh, man, this guy's obviously in grief, we'll just make sure she's dead, and try, like, do, like, the bare minimum exam, and all that he really found was some bruising on her neck. And that was it. Hmm. And you then, know, oh, what were you going to say? I feel like bruising on your neck does not correlate with falling down the stairs. Yeah, I know. That definitely seems like strangled. And then he placed her there to make it seem like she fell. So then um, the husband, like, prevented any closer examination of the body. He, like, didn't want an autopsy or anything. He just wanted her buried and put to rest um so a lot of people like chalked up her death to be like childbirth but no one can vouch that she was even pregnant at the time i don't even know how that makes sense like they were so like the husband was like oh she died during childbirth blah 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 blah. but no one knew she was pregnant what no she okay looks like she falls down the stairs dies during childbirth quote-unquote has around her neck because all of these things just correlate with childbirth yep and then um so then she was buried and again she was buried in a high neck dress and a scarf um yeah he also when he i guess when she was buried i don't know like i guess in the coffin he like had her neck propped up in an odd like he tried to prop up the neck to make it look like normal making it think like her neck was snapped i think because you know like a limp neck you know would just that wasn't attached it would not you would have to prop that up right yeah that just mm, i don't enjoy that i don't i don't enjoy that at all yeah well then zona's mom um she was like she was not believing this whole childbirth thing whatever so um she was saying that she had removed that sheet that was holding up Zona's neck in the coffin and she said that it looks like there was like some mysterious blood on it Uh. yeah so then um she the mom was like obviously very distraught because this is her daughter and then her mom started having visions she was like a very religious person so she started um having visions of her daughter and um for four nights in a row this her daughter's ghost Zona's ghost came to her in these visions and was telling her that her husband had been abusing her and this is what Zona's saying so Zona the ghost is saying like her husband had been abusing her and that he attacked her and broke her neck um that's a lot and see here's the thing too it's like I feel like a lot of people have visions of their loved ones after they die mm-hmm. you never know if it's like a ghost or not but let me tell you right now Margaret mm-hmm. I'm not scared of ghosts because if I die before you I'm gonna come back and haunt you <laughs> Mm. oh god that's something to look forward to <laughs> always yeah so anyways and then on the last night of this vision um this isn't really pertinent but 
when Zona was like leaving her mom, her neck was like completely like her head was like on backwards on her body, like indicating that her neck was broken. Don't like that. Yeah, I know me either. So then Zona's mom went like straight to the town prosecutor and was like, you need to exhume the body. You need to have a proper autopsy done. Um, and then so the autopsy they did, they got the court order to exhume the body and then they did a proper autopsy and it showed that her neck was broken. Oh, goodness. So the husband was arrested and tried for murder. Um, and the prosecutor tried to keep the whole like, because a lot of people were like, well, how did you even think to exhume the body? So the, the prosecutor tried to keep out the fact that the mom was having visions because then, of course, a jury probably wouldn't believe that because there's no fact and it come off as the mom was crazy um but she went ahead like when the mom was being um up on the witness stand the mom went ahead and, uh it, she went ahead and told about the ghost about the vision and stuff and the jury ended up believing her so do you think that the jury believed her because of the time period that it was in or do you think they believed her because of I don't know. You know what I mean? I mean, this was this was like eight late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds. Mm. It's not that long ago. I think. I think it probably like it doesn't go into what how the trial all went, but I'm sure the prosecutor was also like the husband. Um, His second like, wife tried to cover it up. Yeah, yeah, and he tried to like cover it up, but then he and he was like he wanted the body buried so quickly, and he wouldn't let anyone touch the body, and he kept hiding her neck. So, which is sus. Yeah. So I think that probably went into it too. But when, like I said, when the mom did get up on the witness stand, she did talk about her visions, and the jury did didn't um didn't uh like not believe her. They did believe mm-hmm. her. So yeah. So this was like uh a story, a kind of ghost, a uh, murder story of like when a ghost like actually helped solve her own murder. Yeah, and I mean, even if the jury didn't believe in ghosts necessarily, mm-hmm. I think the fact that when they exhumed the body and they noticed that the neck was broken yeah. is proof enough. Like, you don't need to, a ghost to tell you that, but even if they didn't believe in ghosts, there's, like, evidence. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I'm sure that helped in the case. Yeah. And the husband, he he didn't get the death penalty because, like, the the testimony of, like, the ghost visions, like, technically weren't hard enough evidence mm-hmm. but he did get life in prison but then he died a few years later so he didn't even serve that out interesting yeah so my murder actually has to do with the death penalty too and just out of curiosity how do you feel about the death penalty i do not agree with the death penalty why i don't know because I've, I've just was curious while i was reading my um or while i was researching my murder i was just thinking about what your idea on the death penalty was yeah i'm not really into the whole eye for an eye thing that's i think that's too barbaric that's fair and i mean i don't really know how i feel about it because sometimes i understand it i really do but then other times it's like it actually i i did some research into it after i read my articles and stuff and found Mm -hmm. out that the death penalty um actually costs more than to just have somebody in life in prison really how does it cost more i think it's because the injection costs so much they charge so much for the injection interesting yes and you would think that it like it would be cheaper because you know it's just an injection and then they're gone they don't have to house them they don't have to feed them but that is weird 
And, you know, it's it, then again, it's like a lot of people on death row, unfortunately, die. And then later to find out they actually didn't commit the murder. Yeah. Which That's is another thing about the death penalty. It's like you can't undo it. So if later evidence, because like in a lot of cases, like some people are, they are freed after like, say, serving like 30 years in prison. And, you know, they're proving innocent. But like with the death penalty... Mm-hmm. It's you permanent. Can't undo it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are some cases like Ted Bundy, who you know, we for sure know that he killed people and he got yeah. the death penalty. And it's like, I get it, but also I don't know. I, I really don't know. I don't think I have a strong opinion well, I mean I have a strong opinion about it, but I don't know if I have one a strong opinion about either way. Yeah, yeah. Because I understand it, but also it's just I don't know. I get it. Mm-hmm. But no, that was a good murder. Do you have anything else to add to it? Not really. I couldn't find much about it just because I don't know. I don't think it was like a popular murder. But I, when I was researching it, I was just looking at a ghosty murder. So next week, I think I'm gonna try to do some more ghosty murders. I like. Oh them. my gosh, I love how you're okay. So I see a theme in our murders. See, I'm the gruesome person. I yeah, like all are. of the guts and gore. And you're I don't ghosty. like that. Yeah, I don't. I don't like ghosts. And you, <laughs> I don't guess you don't like guts and gore i do not <laughs> but you know it works out because every week you spook me with your ghosties and then and i just terrorize disturb you me the guts. Yeah. yeah exactly and okay another thing i wanted to say about your murder i find it odd because you know if the ghost came back and visited her mother and like it seems like the mother and the daughter were pretty close uh-huh. I, you never know though but you know if she were pregnant don't you think she would tell the mom yeah i think so too i just that's feel why, like that's like, a the flaw. mom the mom like did not believe that she was like uh my daughter would have told me and like she was like i would have known so oh yeah for real like i don't know my mom and i are very close and it's like if anything like that ever happened i would tell my mom uh-huh. and she would know that something was up if like i had bruises on my neck and was just i don't know what's yours okay so shout out to all of our friends that live in the kansas city missouri side Ooh, of got a local one yes kind of local yes i mean Considering, I don't know, your boyfriend lives in Kansas City, Mo. We, your roommate, some of your roommates, like Ellie, they live in KC, Mo. Yeah. We have a lot of friends that live in that area. And I just, I really enjoy local murders. I don't know why, because I feel like it's more haunting. Yeah, I think but, so too. Yeah, for real. Like, I don't know. It just is interesting. So I got my sources from Murderpedia and The Thought Company. And this is The Butcher of Kansas City. Oh, God. Yeah, his name is Robert Berdella. And I'm sorry if I pronounce any of these wrong. I tried to look them up on Wikipedia. But like I said, I'm kind of a tipsy. So we'll see how much it stays. <laughs> so Robert Berdella was born in Cuyahoga Falls. C-U-Y-A-H-O-G-A. I, I don't know. I, I listened to a pronunciation of it on YouTube, but I didn't really Where's stay. that at? It's in Ohio. Oh, yes, so he was born in Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio, on January 31st in 1949. So he lived in a Cleveland, like, he actually grew up in the Cleveland suburbs, and he grew up Catholic, which you can relate to. Yeah. You can't relate to murdering anyone yet, but you can oh, relate God. to growing up Catholic. Well, at least I hope you never murder anyone. And, God, yeah, me me too. Because <laughs> let's be real. If you ever murder anyone, I'm going to talk about it on this podcast. Yeah, it's know. it's just going to happen. I hope that, you know, if I ever murder someone or I get murdered, you'll talk about me on this podcast. But anyway, 
Um, when Robert was 16, his father actually died at the age of 35 from a heart problem. I think he had a heart attack. And so what Robert did was, since he grew up in the church, he turned to the church for support. Mm-hmm. Um, and at, shortly after his father died, his mother actually remarried. And he claimed that the church actually did not help him very much when he was going through all of these problems with his father. And he really thought he could turn to them since they'd been there for his entire life, but since they didn't really do much, some people believe that's when he turned to Satanism. Oh. See, that's kind of ghosty. Yeah, and see, that's also very, like, opposite. Catholicism, and then, boom, Satanism. Yeah. But there'll be more on that later. So, you might be asking yourself how this Ohio suburban boy made it to Kansas City. Well, in 1967... Uh, Berdella actually went to the Kansas City Art Institute, where he planned on becoming a professor. Like, I guess, I don't really know of what, but he became, he wanted to become a professor, but he actually quickly changed his career path, and guess what he decided to become? A murderer. <gasps> no, but, um, I mean, he did become a murderer. Let me think, a butcher? Close. He decided to become a chef. Oh, okay. But you see, two years after attending the Kansas City Art Institute, he was asked to leave because he killed a dog for the sake of art. Ew. Which makes me so sad. I love dogs. Yeah, that's... Yeah, it's messed up. That is. And it's like, if you go back and listen to our first podcast, I'm just like totally upset about how that dog was just left in the car. And the fact that this guy (laughs) killed a dog for art drives me insane because you and I both know yeah and you and I both know that for a semester at Truman I was an art major and I did some insane stuff like I probably have heart problems now from all the monsters I drank but I would never ever kill (laughs) an animal yeah and that just makes me want to throw up and it's like bruh you're a chef what do you mean you killed a dog for the sake of art like no no I know like what's he gonna this sounds gross. Was he going to eat the dog? I mean, okay, well, I could maybe relate to that because I'm Asian, but oh my whatever. <laughs> no, just kidding. I've never eaten dog. I Anyway, um, after getting kicked out of school, he started collecting art, odd artifacts, and this actually led him to opening his own um, store called Bob's Bazaar Bazaar. Does that okay. make sense? Yeah, yeah, I know like what a bazaar. Bizarre, like it's like a little marketplace. Yeah, but it's like a bizarre marketplace. So I don't know that. That's what I mean. And it's actually in the Westport Flea Market, which I've never been to, but I've been to Casey multiple times. So now I'm kind of interested to go down there and see if it's still there. Interesting. Um, he was seen as being somebody who was very weird by the rest of the owners of the like owners of the shops. But he was also seen as being friendly and nice, and he took part in the Neighborhood Crime Watch. Oh. Yeah, I always feel like murderers always take part of this kind of stuff because they want to see what's what people are talking about and if they're talking about them. And they want to seem, unsus- like, non-suspicious, you know? Yeah, they, don't, yeah, they yeah. don't want to be seen as sus. So I get why he did it, but also I think he just wanted to, like, look, yeah, look less suspicious. Um. So here's where we get into the spoopy murdery parts. Oh, God. Yes. So about five days before the um, Easter of 1998, the weekend of Easter, uh, Robert Berdella met this man named Chris Bryson, who worked as a male prostitute to support his family. 
which I don't think this was really like that unheard of, you know? Yeah. Shout out to my hometown because we used to have a prostitute named Coat Rack <laughs> a long time ago. And there's actually like stories about her. Oh but God. yeah, it's insane. Um, but Berdella invited Chris to his house and Chris agreed. And when they got there, Robert invited him upstairs where he had like a nice lounging area. So like a couch and a bed and a TV. Mm-hmm. But in the downstairs area, when you first walk in, there were dogs all over the place. They were just like vicious mean dogs and i guess robert yeah and i guess robert didn't really take care of them and let them kind of do what they wanted because apparently there was poop all over the floor and stuff like that so gross um once they got upstairs Berdella actually hit chris over the head with a blunt object and after he hit him he uh took pictures of him with this polaroid camera oh and yeah and he tied him up to like the bed like the iron bed frame uh-huh so over the next few days while chris was being held um captive by robert robert began to torture and sodomize him oh god yeah so i mm, sorry uh yeah. we don't cuss on this channel because we need jobs but that does not exclude me from telling you about the gruesome parts of this murder so get ready well actually there's a light side to this because chris spoiler alert, doesn't get murdered but robert would beat chris with an iron club oh and then he injected various parts of his body with animal tranquilizers that they believed oh. were used for his dogs and antibiotics oh. no it gets worse so um robert would put chemicals in chris's eyes It would shock him using alligator clamps on parts of his body, including, like, his testicles. Ew. Yes. So, early on in Chris's captivity, uh, Chris would scream while Robert raped him. Wait, are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. Yeah, so, no, you're good. You're good. So, like I said, um, early on in his captivity, Chris would scream while Robert raped him. Oh, God. But, yeah, but Robert Berdella injected Drano into his throat near his windpipe. Ooh. And he convinced him to stay quiet because he told Chris that if he stayed quiet or if he didn't stay quiet and didn't behave, he would become like his other victims and um, he would lose his voice and wouldn't be able to scream anymore because Berdella would keep injecting him with Drano. Oh, my God. That's so creepy. I know. That's and like, because that's being tortured. Like, if I was going to be murdered, I would just want a quick death. Yeah, just just murder me. Like, I don't care what you do after I die. Like, yeah. have at it. I mean, it's my corpse. But oh, while I'm alive, do not torture me. I don't think I could handle that. Yeah. yeah. But, so, continuing. Um, other ways that he would torture Chris would be he would show um, photos of his other victims to him. Ooh. And he would show how he, um, they were in the bed like Chris was, and they were drugged. And they were killed um and most of them he said if chris didn't behave he would end up murdered and fed to his dogs oh like his other victims which we don't know if that's like 100 percent true but it sounds like pretty accurate because later on i'll get into that but it's like you know like i said the dogs pretty much roamed the place so it wouldn't be hard for him to believe that like if Berdella were to kill him he would feed him to his dogs you know yeah yeah so after, like, within those five days before Easter and slash Easter weekend, Chris actually somewhat gained Berdella's trust huh. because he didn't, he wouldn't fight back. He wouldn't scream. He just kind of, like, became, I don't know, like, his 
I, I hate to use this, but that I think this is what he called them later on was play toy. Oh, God. Yeah, which I hate that term. But he just kind of like, you know, he stopped fighting back because his main goal was to stay alive. Yeah. And while he stopped fighting back, he was still using his energy when he wasn't drugged up and wasn't like on Drano and wasn't seeing all this stuff. He was thinking of ways to get free. Yeah, I would too. Yeah, and it's like Berdello would leave him. Robert Berdello would leave him and go do errands and then come back. But, you know, you get to that point, I feel like in captivity a lot of times where people like don't want to scream anymore. They don't they don't necessarily give up. But yeah. it's just like they They've know exhausted what they have a to lot do. of their energy. Yeah, and they know what they have to do to stay alive. Mm-hmm. Well, eventually, I believe on the fifth ish day, um, Robert Berdella gave Chris Bryson the TV remote so he could control like the volume and the channels. Uh huh. Which is really weird, but you know, whatever. And he would also reward him with a cigarette. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Ooh, a cigarette. Yummy cancer stick. <laughs> Gotta love that. Um, but so the way that Berdella had tied up Chris was a different way than Chris was you uh usually tied up. He uh-huh. wasn't like this. Like, I feel like the way that they said it is he wasn't used to being tied up this way, and he was easily able to get out of his um. Uh, restraints because what happened was it sounds like he tied his hands to the front and he put the remote between Chris's legs so that way he could change it like that and what I think is Chris was typically tied up to the bedpost or you know with his hands behind his back but since he was in this new um, way that Berdella tied him up he was able to um, break loose from his restraints he got one arm free and then the matches that were left for him to light his cigarette with, he took and he burned the ropes. Oh, that's he smart. the rest of him, right? And I'm just like, go him. Cause yeah, for real. This is so traumatizing. I mean, you can only imagine how foggy his brain must be from like five days of captivity. Uh, captivity and being drugged and threatened and beaten and sodomized and all of these other things. Yeah. But, you know, um, Chris Bryson realized um the chance he had so even though he just got out of his restraints and he was he was actually naked and drugged up he broke the window in his room Mm -hmm. um and he took the chance because he didn't know if Berdella was home or not um Robert was either running errands but he wasn't sure so he broke the window in the second floor of the house and he jumped out the freaking window whoa of a second floor isn't that kind of like badass yeah then what did he do i mean well it kind of reminds me like detour it kind of reminds me of ted bundy when he was being held in the oh my god and broke tree. right right in the jury room and like he can he was so persuasive that he convinced everyone that he was fine and then he jumped out the window and twisted yeah. his ankle well chris here is the victim not ted bundy but chris actually twisted his ankle too but he was like so hyped on adrenaline and the fact that he was free that he didn't even notice it. Damn. Yeah. So once he jumped out the window and like after realizing he was free, he ran to one of the neighbor's house mm-hmm. houses ugh. and the neighbor looked at him and like kind of found it sus that this man was pounding on his door, especially since he was naked. Yeah. And he thankfully though because there's been so many times where people won't call the cops or they'll not let people in and they'll just ignore them while he did not let chris into his house he did call the cops that's good at least yes so after the cops got there 
and questioned Chris and got his side of the story and saw how bad Chris was beaten up and noticed that, like, you know, Chris wouldn't lie about this. Some guy wouldn't just run around naked with bruises and, like, syringe marks on him for no reason. Robert showed up. Oh. Yes. So Robert Berdella showed up a little while after the cops questioned Chris. But then, after seeing Chris, the uh, the cops quickly arrested Robert. And um, they were the te- detectives with the Kansas City Police. So go Kansas City Police Department. And unfortunately, that entire Easter weekend, most of them spent their time cataloging items they found in his house for, like, evidence. Oh, God. Yes. And get this. I didn't know this. And, you know, I didn't research this anymore, which I probably should have. But in this time period, and I think this might still be true. Don't hold me on this. But (laughs) apparently in Missouri, there's a law where you can only hold somebody for 20 hours until you have to, like, announce their charge. Oh, so they announced the charge of murder, though, right? Well, no, because they didn't have 100% evidence. They didn't have a body yet. They hadn't seen anything. So they just charged him with sodomy and um, charges relating to Chris Bryson's torture because they didn't know if anyone had been murdered yet. They Uh-oh. didn't know any of this other stuff. And, you know, I, I hate to say it because but, you know, if you whatever you say, unless there's evidence, it's always hearsay. Yeah, yeah. So what they they just took Chris Bryson's word as like hearsay because, you know, that's what you have to do. So until then, they charged him with, like I said, sodomy and torture charges. But then as they continued to search through his house and his yard, they found what looked like human skulls and vertebrae. Oh, gross. Yes. But, you know, he collected some weird stuff and he was known for Bob's Bazaar and Bazaar. So the police weren't necessarily 100% sure if they were, you know, um, what's it called? Accurate. It's not accurate. But if they were truly human bones. Yeah. But the police also found 357 photographs of victims in various positions. Oh, gross, gross, gross. Yeah, while they were being tortured. And from looking at these photos and checking their databases of missing people, they noticed that six of the men in the photos were found to be victims of homicide, while another 23 were there on their own will, like against their own accord, like they wanted to be there. Oh. Yeah. So it's like those 23 should just count themselves lucky because the other six men and almost Chris ended up murdered. Okay, so welcome back from that brief intermission. Um, we Let's have, get right back into this gruesome yeah, okay. murder you're going. So with. this is the second day of our of this podcast because we had some stuff to do. So we're getting back into it. So like I said, six of the men in the photos were found dead, and then twenty three were there just on their own. Um, police still could not find any full bodies and for some reason if no bodies are found judges and juries don't seem to care as much as if they would if there was a body so it's it's all just back to hearsay you know it's like if you don't have a body then it's like well then maybe somebody didn't die even though you have all of this proof well unfortunately they did not find any of the bodies but they did find robert's diary and this is where he kept um photos and just like record of everything that he did to his victims, how he sodomized them along with all the photos. And like he would write down how much Drana or he would inject them with or antibiotics and 
um, that's where the cops started looking. They looked there, and this is what led them to find eventually some of the missing people was Robert's diaries. Um, in prison, I mean, for I feel like for a serial killer, like I know that they like to write this down as like to kind of like keep it as like a prize in some sense or to be proud of themselves, but like that's also really stupid. Yeah, no, for real. It's like if you're gonna write something down like that, at least encrypt it so no one else can. Yeah, exactly. Like just writing this perfectly. Like then I put Drano in his throat and then I killed him. Like um, it took me exactly forty-five milliliters of Drano to. Yeah, no, it's it's just it's insane all the way around. It's just insane, insane. So um, while he was in prison, they actually isolated him in a private area of the sick bay so that the other inmates couldn't attack him, which I completely <laughs> understand. This guy's like a pedophile and a molester. And it's like in prison, even prisoners, I guess, have standards because it's like, you know, you hear stories mm-hmm. all the time of like child molesters and how they get killed in prison all the time because you, you mm-hmm. just don't mess with children. They call them in prison. They call them chomos. Oh, yeah, and then they, like, suffocate them with pillows or just cut them. Like, I listened to a podcast today where one guy got his uh, throat slashed with a razor because he killed a kid. Damn. Yeah, I know. So, Robert Berdella, apparently he was showing remorse and denial, and some of his friends and acquaintances believed that the police actually framed him. And while he was in prison, he was asking for his friend named Robert, Reverend, oh gosh, Reverend mm-hmm. Roger Coleman to come visit him. And it wasn't really for uh, to repent or to feel bad or ask for forgiveness. It was more mm-hmm. just so like he was kept company. Huh. Which, I don't know. Whatever. I, yeah. I don't know. If, even if I were a reverend, if I were a religious person, I don't know if I would be able to go there and be like, oh yeah, I'm just going to keep you company. Like, no. That's what... But that's what a lot of priests have to do. Like when people are on um, about to be executed, punishment. A lot mm-hmm. of times we'll have a priest in the room saying prayers, like as the execution is happening. Oh and well. Also, what was I going to say? Something else about yeah. Like also, think when people like go to confession and like they're like, "I killed someone." The priest has to be like, "I mean, God has to forgive." Because yeah. priests can't, like, tattle on them or anything like that. They have to just be like, oh, yes, God God will forgive you. No, I know that part. And it's just, like, I get that uh, priests and stuff come and do, like, the last rites and stuff. Because even when people, normal people, like, that don't kill people die, they do that for them. But what I'm saying is, like, I don't understand how, like, as a reverend, if somebody just came, like, and was just like, hey, will you come chill with me in this prison even though I killed a bunch of people? Yeah. I don't. I don't know if I could do it. I get the last rights. I do, but it's just like in this case, I'm like, I don't know if I could have just chilled with him. I know. But whatever. So, um, oh, okay. So when they were looking at the photos of Robert Berdella in all of these cases, he actually was kind of smart and didn't show all of the victim victims' faces, and he often was not seen in the photos either. Like he was in the photos, but you couldn't mm-hmm. see his face, uh, the way that he was positioned over his victims. So get this. The police made Berdella repose as if he was in the photos. Oh, my God. He would take the photos of himself in these positions to be sent for the analysis to see if he was, like, the people in the photos. Which, actually, this really made him, um, made him like, uncomfortable and he didn't really want to do that. Which I understand. Mm-hmm. Like, even if you weren't a murderer, you wouldn't really want to do that. But he cooperated. And, yeah, I mean, 
I just I feel that like that was kind of weird for the cops to ask him to do. Yeah, I mean, I guess they were just trying to get some evidence. But yeah, I agree. That is weird. Yeah, but then, okay, so during his arraignment, he actually shocked everyone and pled pled guilty Mm. to first-degree murder. And then he confessed to the torturing and murdering of six men from 1984 to 1987. Um, Like I said earlier, I think, he called his victims play toys. I don't like that. Yeah, no, no, that's gross. And then he would continue to say that he would put his victims in the bathtub and then he would make precise cuts and incisions at their elbows and groin joints so that all of the blood would drain from them. Ew. Yes. He would then take a chainsaw and knife and cut them up and stick them in trash bags that he left at the curbside for the trash guys to pick up the next day. And then his victims would die by either asphyxiation or drug overdose. And then even one of them actually died. Okay, so this is, this is really bad. But one of them died from their anal wall rupturing after oh. Brudella put his arm, like, completely inside of his anus. Ew, 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 ew. Yeah, and it's like, okay, I just don't understand, like, why he would cut them up, put them in trash bags, and then be like, yep, now this is the trash guy's problem. Like, that's, that's, that's just so risky. Wait, did the trash men ever, like, find, did they ever suspect anything? No, they didn't. And that's the oh thing. It's God. like, you'd think that, like, I guess he double-bagged him, triple-bagged him. I don't know. But you'd think that you wouldn't want to, like, other people picking up those dead bodies. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What? Huh. Mm-hmm. But the reason why he confessed to all of these murders and discussed them in such great de- detail was because he did not want the death penalty. So, like, he was basically just trying to save his ass from the death penalty if he would have... If he would have pled uh, not guilty, I guess then, you know. But he would have been found guilty. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So then the juries would have been like, no, you're going to die. This is death penalty time. Yeah. But no. So since he did not take the death penalty, he was only charged with six counts of murder and two life sentences without parole. So, yeah, I know. Berdella then went on and opened a trust fund. Listen to this. He opened a trust fund (laughs) for his victims' families. Oh, yeah, that was led by Reverend Roger Coleman, who's like, you know, the reverend that stood by him through all of this. Mm -hmm. And the families actually tried to sue Berdella for wrongful death, but failed. uh, But they failed due to not being able to meet the statute of limitations for the crimes, which I feel like there shouldn't be a statute of limitations for that. Yeah, no. But okay, yeah, but um, yeah, I know it's like you there should. There shouldn't be a statute of limitations for murder. That just seems insane. Yeah. But, yeah, Robert Berdella actually ended up dying at the age of 43 on October 8th in 1992 in the Jefferson City, Missouri State Penitentiary uh, from a heart attack. And then I'm just going to list, yeah, I'm going to list his order, uh, his victims real quick. Um, Jerry Howell, age 20. Robert Sheldon, age 18. Mark Wallace, age 20. James Ferris, age 20. Todd Stoops, age 21, and then Larry Pearson, age 20. So this guy was just messed up. Yeah, those guys are all so young. Wait, I know so how at this time when, um, during this killing spree these years, how old was Bordella at the time? Oh, goodness. Um, what a great question that I don't know the answer to. Yeah, I feel like, okay, so let's, let's, let's do some quick math. He was born in 1949, right? Uh-huh. And then he uh, committed these murders from 
Are they really? Yeah, they make cookies oh like you can buy in a bag. Yeah. On the bag. Where, I don't, where have you been? <laughs> I don't really. Oh, oh, I don't know. I don't really eat bag cookies a lot. Sorry. My family loves me and they home make me cookies. That is nice. So I don't have to eat. <laughs> eat out of a bag. So I don't have to eat bag cookies. I've never really been a huge cookie fan anyway either. So it's just. I don't know. Yeah. I guess I'm more of a bread fan. I don't know. I, I can't really. But I, I definitely crave different sweets at like different times. Oh yeah, I have such a sweet tooth. Like right now, if someone said something, like I wouldn't be craving a cookie right now. You know. Mm-hmm. I am craving chocolate though. That sounds good. Yes, but oh, chocolate sounds yeah. real good. <laughs> we're just gonna leave. Okay, so this has been a great podcast, and now we're just both it has go even though it was... chocolate. Yeah, even though it was split up over two days. My fault. Maybe we'll. Maybe no. You're fine. Maybe one day we'll get our ish together. But maybe. until then, but this has been until then. Yeah. Oh. Then oh, this has been men, <laughs> murders, and muffins. We'll see you Goodbye. next week. Bye. Ah.